0: We are going to be in Mark chapter 10 this morning, if you would. so if you've got a Bible open up to mark chapter 10, and as you do, got a quick question for you. Um, how many of you are familiar with the name Tom Brady? Got a little giggle okay, just making sure I, I am a dolphin's fan and always have been, so the majority of my life I have despise Tom Brady. But he's a man who needs no introduction, really. Um, but just in case, after 23 seasons, he just retired again. And, um, but uh, in 2005, when he was 27 years old, he was interviewed by 60 Minutes after um, his third Super Bowl ring. He was just about to sign, at that time, one of the biggest contracts in NFL history, just a, a couple weeks later. Um, But he said something that I think every single one of us need to hear. And the original plan was to show you guys a video of of him saying it, um, but we were not able to. We do not have permission to show 60-minute videos here, apparently. So um, there's a couple quotes that I want to throw out that he said. I think, again, we we all need to hear what he had to say. the interviewer asked him, you've, you've got it all, right, Tom? You're 27, you've got the Super Bowl rings, some Super Bowl MVPs, you've done some incredible things. You've got it all. And he says, there's got to be more than this. And then he, he goes on to say, why do I still think that there has to be something greater out there for me? And then the interviewer with kind of like a, a disrespectful smile on his face. He's like, what is it, Tom? Like, come on, what is it? And his response was, God, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. And there's a couple different responses to that. Me as a Dolphins fan, I'm like, man, I, you probably should have played for the Dolphins a long time ago. Like, maybe that's what you were looking for. Probably not, though. But a couple maybe more realistic responses is this guy just needs to be content, right? Like, chill out. You've, you've got a lot going on. But I think the reality is, is that in that interview, Tom was sharing a reality that every single one of us has experienced, I hope, at some point in our life. Um, he's identified a core longing that's within every single human being. And what is it? I believe as we have the opportunity to open God's word and as we have the opportunity to know God, I believe it's super clear. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 says that God has put in the hearts of humanity eternity. What does that mean? There is something within every single one of us, a hole within our heart, as some people have said, that something eternal is only able to fill or to satisfy And I'm sure many of us have experienced that reality. And it comes to the form in in, in a couple different ways, but two times where I think it's the most evident in our life, this reality that we long for something more than this world can satisfy, happens at a funeral, doesn't it? One of the hardest moments in a human's life is to go to a funeral of a loved one and to be there, and we, we start asking ourselves the real questions of life because of the reality of death. What is going to happen after this life for that individual and then for me? But it also happens in the times of our lives where we seem to have gotten that thing that we have longed for, that thing we've waited for, that thing that we had planned for for so long, you finally got it, and then you find yourself just like Tom Brady asking the question, why do I feel like... There's, got, there's just gotta be something more out there for me. There's gotta be something greater for me, right? In Mark chapter 10, we're gonna look at an example of, in his day, what we have is our modern day Tom Brady. In his day, he was that person. Yeah, I don't think you have to be a a rich young ruler to have asked these questions in your life, but that's the the story we're going to look at specifically. But he was a man with a longing inside inside of his heart, and he knew what he was looking for. He knew that he was looking for eternal life. And so he went to the teacher, to the good teacher, as he says. He goes to Jesus, and he specifically asks him this question. Check out Mark chapter 10, verse 17. It says this, now, as he was going out, and speaking of Jesus on the road, Mark chapter 10, verse 17, it says that one came running and knelt before him and asked him, he said, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Um, in the, the gospel of Matthew, just if you're wondering how from here we get this picture, how many guys have heard of the rich young ruler before? this is this man and the way we get that is not just from mark's account and matthew and in luke it tells us the the same story but it gives us a little bit more details in matthew chapter 19 it tells us that that he's a young man this young man came running and knelt before him and in luke uh, chapter 18 i believe it is it says that this ruler comes running and kneels before him so you piece those together and you've got this young man who's a ruler and at the end of all of the stories, it tells us that he has great riches. So he's a rich, young ruler. And he comes asking this question. In his day, he seems to be the guy like Tom Brady were. This guy seems to have it all. And his question is, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Let's check out what Jesus says to him. I think there's something interesting that happens in verse 18. Jesus says to him, before he answers his question, he asks him another question. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. Just to be really clear, Jesus here is not denying that he is God. He's actually, in in a little while, we're going to see this coming up real quickly, he's going to die for the claim that he is God. He's he's not in denial of the reality of who he is. Um, He's asking a question that is penetrating this individual's heart. He's asking a question that's leading him to say, are you aware of what you're even saying here? Good teacher, there's only one that is good, and it's God. And if you're giving me that title, are you saying that I am God? If so, then you better listen to my answer really closely. Does this make sense? He says, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. And verse 19 says this. You know the commandments. This is a very Jewish answer that Jesus gives to him. He says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. He says, follow the law. Verse 20 says this. And he answered, and he said to him, I think it's noteworthy to say he just calls him teacher here. He no longer calls him good teacher. I think there's a little bit of conviction maybe happening. Something's going on. But he's like, okay, teacher. Well, all these things I have kept from my youth. What do you guys think about that response? Is that pretty bold? Maybe. I think it's pretty bold. He says, I, I, I've kept these things from my youth. Um, but just to make sure we paint a full picture on this individual, um, Matthew chapter 19, verse 20, tells us one more detail in this very same response. He says, I have kept all these things from my youth, but then he says, What do I still lack? Matthew chapter 19, verse 20. The same story with a little bit more details. I think this young, rich young ruler is aware of his own imperfection. He's not like, I have got this, I have been perfect. He recognizes his own imperfection, but that is what has driven him to asking this question actually. What do I gotta do? What am I still missing? What do I still lack? There is something still missing in my life. And Jesus responds to him in verse 21. He says this Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him, and he said to him, One thing you lack. He's like, You're right, you do lack something. He says this Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. That's pretty big, right? Can we agree before we move on that that's not a small statement that Jesus just threw out to this guy? I want you, everything you have, sell it. When you get that money, give that money away, give it to the poor. And then I want you to take up your cross and come and follow me. Does this sound familiar to you guys? If, if we have been together as we've been journeying through the book of Mark, if, you, if you've been with us, um, Mark chapter 8, verse 34 is really what the gospel of Mark had been building to up until that point. Chapters 1 through 7 is Jesus is, is just, he's on the scene and he is, speaking, he's teaching, he's performing miracles, and it is an introduction to who Jesus is as a person, what he did, and what he said. When you get to Mark chapter 8, it's, it's like, wow, there, there's something incredible that happens here, because he pulls his disciples aside, if you remember, as they were on the road, and he asks his disciples, who do men say that I am? You guys remember this? Who do men say that I am? And, he's, and, and Peter, I believe, responds um, by saying uh, the, they say a couple different things. You might be John the Baptist. You might be one of the prophets. There's a couple different responses, but ultimately it gets down to Jesus. Um, Peter saying, "You are the Christ," because he asks, "Who do you say that I am?" He says, "You are the Christ," and Jesus is like, ah, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. This is, this is amazing. You've got it." And then in Mark chapter 8 verse 31. He starts to reveal the type of Messiah, the Christ that he is. And he says specifically that I have come that I may suffer, be rejected, and be killed. And then rise on the third day. Um, anybody remember what Peter did after that? He's like, come here. Come here, Jesus. No, that ain't going to happen. What are you talking about? He's like, that's, that's no. And then, and then Jesus rebukes him. Um, But the point is, Jesus in Mark chapter 8 explains to them what type of Messiah he is going to be. He is going to be one who suffers, who is rejected, and is killed. But then he will rise from the dead. Why do I belabor this? Because Jesus' response to this man, go your way, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, you will have treasure in heaven, take up your cross and follow me is the specific model that Jesus gave in Mark chapter eight, verse 34, for every single one of us. He says, the people in my kingdom are the people who are willing to deny themselves, to take up their cross, and follow me. And this individual specific challenge that was given to him is his money had apparently taken root in his heart as a greater authority than God. This individual's challenge was his stuff. And Jesus gets in his face about it. He says, you need to deny yourself. And that's what brings us to really the plan of God for all of us. The plan of God for us is this, that we must deny ourselves and follow Jesus. That's the gospel, right? We must And that is what Jesus invites this individual to do. He says, you must deny yourself and come and follow me. And specifically for this man, it was his money. It was his stuff. Let's see how this individual responds. Verse 22 says this. Then Jesus, looking at, or excuse me, verse 22. But he had said at this, or he was sad at this word, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Man. How many of you guys have heard this story before? Don't be lulled to sleep by the familiarity of it, right? If any high school students in here, this was our winter camp theme, our, our passage. We spent three nights talking about this particular passage. Um, so we processed this a lot. If we've heard this story before, then as we get to this part of the story, it's like, okay, yep, he left. And that's like the end of the story for him. What a tragedy. What an absolute tragedy. That is one of the most heartbreaking verses in all of the Bible. This individual with this longing for eternity comes to the one who has the answer for his soul, He says, I'm lacking something. I've got everything this world has to offer, and yet I still don't have enough. Why do I feel like there's something greater out there for me still? And he gets the answer that he doesn't want. Deny yourself and follow me. And what does he do? He gets sad about it, and he walks away, filled with sorrow, That's the problem with humanity, isn't it? The plan of God is deny yourself. If you want eternal life, deny yourself and come and follow him. And the problem that every single one of us have to face, it's pretty intense. We long for eternity, but we cling to the temporal. We cling to the stuff right here, right now because it seems more real or it's gained a lot more value than what we think is to come. But don't be deceived because as he walked away, did you guys catch how he walked away? It says sorrowful, sorrowful. Do not be deceived. If we reject the plan of God, the result will always be sorrow internally. this life doesn't have everything we are longing for. And we know it, we know it. But the beautiful thing is the story is not done. That's good news, right? This individual, we don't know the end of his story. This is the end for now, and some people speculate some crazy things about who this young person might be. But verse 22 or 23, Jesus continues to use this moment as a lesson. And just in case, how many guys remember the name Zacchaeus? The wee little man climbed the sycamore tree as fast as he can. Um, Zacchaeus is the polar opposite of this story, isn't he? Um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, I think it's in Luke chapter 19. This this moment with the rich young ruler happens in Luke 18, and then in Luke 19, one of the very next stories is Jesus has an interaction with Zacchaeus, where he does the polar opposite. He doesn't walk away sorrowful. There's actually a celebration in his house. But verse 23, Jesus uses this moment as a lesson for his disciples, and he says this. Then Jesus. He looked around and he said to his disciples, he says, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and he said to them, children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. Did you catch the difference? The first thing that Jesus said is how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And his disciples were like, whoa, that's crazy. That's crazy. And then he says how hard it is for those who trust in their riches to enter the kingdom of God. And then verse 25, he says, it is actually easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Um, We get the picture, right? Some people, and maybe we'll have to ask Tom and, and Noah and Matt and Tucker when they get back, is there actually a gate into Jerusalem called the Needle Gate? How many of you guys have heard that, that, that story before? There's a gate going into Jerusalem where apparently only at certain times of the night the, the, the people could come in just through that small gate, and if it was a camel, it would have to get on its knee like things to crawl through to get into the city and i think that's quite an extreme example i think it's probably just a hyperbole just so we know it's like it's it's pretty hard it's pretty hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of god if they trust in their riches verse 26 says this and they were greatly astonished what they were greatly astonished because jesus says how hard it is for those who trust in their riches and I believe Jesus is trying to paint a picture that's upending some of their theology. Our culture does it still to this day. But the Jewish culture specifically believed that riches were an indication of God's blessing upon somebody's life. And they had some very clear examples of that. You guys know the name Abraham? Dude had a lot of stuff. Job, he had, he had an abundance of stuff. Everything was taken away and then after... There was this incredible moment in Job chapter 38. What happens is all of his stuff gets given back to him except for twice as much. It's crazy. And then you've got people like David where there's people who have incredible amounts of riches and stuff. And so the Jewish mindset was that, well, that must be an indication that God has given that person favor or blessing. And we still do it in our culture today, don't we? Not just the Christian subculture, but our world as a whole. If you've got stuff, then there is some kind of blessing, favor, goodness of God that has been given to you. And Jesus is trying to tell them it's, it's, it's kind of not like that. There's, there's something else going on. Verse 26, they were greatly astonished at this and it led them to asking this question, Who then can be saved? Like, who, who can be saved then? And Jesus is like, you, you're, you're finally getting it. This is what all of Mark has built toward. Jesus gave a model as, I am a Messiah that is going to be suffering, that is going to kill, be killed, and that is going to rise from the dead. And if you want to be in my kingdom, you must deny yourself and follow after me. And then as we go a couple chapters later, this is it. The question of the hour is what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Who then can be saved? It's the same question, right? Who can be saved? And Jesus gives them this incredibly beautiful answer. But Jesus looked at them. There's a moment that's happening right here. He looks at them, he's like, you're getting it. This is it. With men, it is impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. Um, how many of you guys have this verse on like a mug somewhere in your house or like a picture somewhere? Uh, we sang it in, in one of the songs that we were, we were worshiping the, to this morning. And it's so often taken out of context because it's a beautiful truth, right? With God, all things are possible. Is that true? Yes, definitely. Jesus is specifically saying this about salvation. When it comes to salvation, when it comes to eternal life, who can be saved? If it were up to you, if it were up to me, it would be impossible. The good news is the gift of God is that God has made a way through the person of Jesus. And that's just for the sake of alliteration. The third point for us this morning is the provision. The provision of God is that, man, Because of our own inability, God has made a way through the person of Jesus. When it comes to eternal life, there is not one of us that is worthy of entering into eternal life because of the stuff we've done or the stuff we have. Our performance is not enough and our stuff is not enough. And so the gift of God is the person of Jesus, with man it is impossible but with god all things are possible it's beautiful and that's that is the gospel that is the rest of the new testament is clarifying that truth but as we go on in this particular passage look at verse 28 it says this then peter began to to say to him, see, we have left all and followed you. So there, there, there have been some who have left. There have been some who have denied themselves and followed after Jesus. And Peter's like, well, okay, it's impossible for man, but man still has a responsibility. The provision of God is that Jesus Christ has been given for us that we might be reconciled with God, that we might be made right with God. It is impossible if it were up to us, but Jesus has been given for us as a provision. But with that being said, the plan of God is still the same. Does that make sense? We still must deny ourselves. Not just in a moment of salvation, but the day to day and the seasons of our life, there is still a need to deny ourselves. And Peter says, Well, we're here. <laughs> like, he's like, We've left everything, and we have followed you. What does that mean for us? And Jesus says this to him. Let's just read verses 29 and 30. He says, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house, or brothers, or sisters, or fathers, Or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the Gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold in this time houses brothers sisters mothers children lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life there's a lot to be said here right Just one thing to clarify, this is not the prosperity gospel. This is a denial of self that has you leaving and letting go of things that you hold incredibly valuable in your life for the sake of the gospel, not so that you can get more in return. It is an open-handed life in response to the love of God that says, what is it anyways, it's not mine. Houses, lands, family members, And he says, there is not one person who has left these things, who has denied themselves of these things that in this life shall not receive a hundredfold, which is a lot more. And in the life to come, did you guys catch it? Eternal life. Who shall inherit eternal life? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Deny yourself and follow Jesus in the day-to-day and in the different seasons, a letting go. And the result is not sorrow, never to be regretted, but it is a life of abundance and ultimately ending and life eternal. And this could be a spot where we could stop. But as a church family, there are people sitting in this room, as a group of people, there are people in this room who, who do not know Jesus Christ as the one that they are willing to deny themselves for. They're like, I, I, don't know I, I don't know if I could do it. I don't know if I could do it. To you, I wanna talk to you in, in, in one second. But there are people in this room who have allowed Jesus, they have chosen, they have responded to the invitation. You have denied yourself, you have followed Christ, and you have a testimony that you need to tell of the times that you have opened your hand and given up something that you thought was valuable only for God to give you an abundance in return. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? There's, there's a, a college gal within, within our church family I think illustrates this so beautifully, um, did not grow up in a Christian home, gave her life to Christ, and as she did that, there was some turmoil within her family. Um, she wanted to live wholeheartedly for Jesus, and it led to some intense conversations within the family that ultimately led to, like, I'm, you're a part of a cult or something. <laughs> like, I don't know if we can talk for a while. And there was, there was a severing of a relationship between a daughter and a mom. That is intense. And it was only, I think, the Lord's grace that allowed her to continue to follow Jesus in that and the difficulty of that. But at winter camp with the high school students, she shared her story in such a beautiful way. She's looking around a room filled with little sisters and little brothers and aunts and uncles in the kingdom of God because a couple days before her mom met her at her house and was like can we work this out can we can we figure this out she opened her hand up and said mom i love you but i love christ more and he is the one that i need and it led to brokenness that jesus restored and in the same time gave an abundance of brothers and sisters does this make sense it's powerful It's the life of one who is willing to deny themselves. But one thing that we flew past that I think is the answer to the question of how do I get there? Whether it's the moment of salvation or it's a new season today, where it's like, I've done it in the past, but this is this right in front of me. I don't know how I can let it go. Mark chapter 10, verse 21. Be reminded of this. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And then he said these things to him. Before Jesus gave the plan of God to him, saying, Hey, you must deny yourself and follow me, we get an insight into the motivation of why Jesus said anything to him. Instead of just walking away with this man after saying, Hey, you know the commands, you got it, bro. Like, I'm out of here. Instead of leaving it there, this man says, I still lack something. What is it? And Jesus looked at him, and loving him, he told him what he didn't want to hear, and what he knew would result in this man walking away from him. The motivation of God for the plan that is given to us, this challenge to deny ourselves, to open our hands, and to follow Jesus, the motivation is the love of God for our life, It is not an unrealistic, religious thing. It's an invitation from the God who created you, the lover of your soul, to say, come and find abundant life and eternal life in me. What you're holding on to, we think it's everything because we cling to the temporal. And Jesus says, let it go. Let it go, and you will find something so much greater in me than you could have ever ever imagined. What I want to do to close is I don't think there's a better way to take communion, right? (laughs) Communion is the response to the love of God for us. It is all about honoring and elevating the provision of God, which is Jesus has made a way for every single one of us to be in a right relationship with God. And so, in a minute, we're going to take communion. But I want to remind you guys of this beautiful, beautiful verse that I think separates Christianity from every other world religion. 1 John 4, 19. Many of you guys, I'm sure, have it memorized. Um, We love God. Why? Because he first loved us. Christianity is not about you initiating a relationship with God. Christianity is a response to the love of God for you. We respond in love to God because of the incredible way that he has loved us and he laid his life down for us. And so after this last song, we're going to take communion. And I just want to encourage us to allow that to be the thought in our mind as we respond to the gift of God.